I know the best place to get pizza. You have never had pizza like this before. I'm telling you. This is the most amazing, the most mouth-watering, the most satisfying pizza that you have ever had in your entire life. And, better yet, it's relatively inexpensive. And yet it feels like when you're sitting in this pizza joint, it feels like you're in a top-notch restaurant. Okay, I had never experienced pizza like I had before I went to this pizza joint. And my favorite place to go is this pizza joint, and it's downtown Woodbridge. Just off the main strip, but still kind of connected to, you know, what's going on in the, in the town. You can walk around after supper, enjoy the nice scenery, but the pizza... The pizza that I order when I go to this place is a pulled pork pizza. It is so delicious. It is, it is called the slow and low. And it's made, it has, it has a cream-based sauce. And then they, so they lather it on there. And then, and then they put the, the juicy, tender, not too sweet, but just sweet enough pulled pork on top. And then to top it off, on top of this pizza, they put apple slaw. Not coleslaw, apple slaw. You have to go to this pizza place. If you're ever in Woodbridge, look up pie pizza joint and order the slow and low pizza. You know, we tell stories like this often, don't we? We share our experiences in a way of trying to urge people to say, haven't you ever had this before? How awesome is it? Whatever it is, whether it's a a hiking trail that you go to regularly and you, you're sharing this with your friends or your family. You're saying, I saw the most amazing view today. It was amazing. It was breathtaking. You could see a waterfall so clearly. And then there were trees. Oh man, the trees. This is how we talk when we get excited about something. This is how we talk when something is important to us. This is not unlike what the author of First John is doing here. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, we now proclaim to you. This is the eternal life. This is the hope that we have, and we now proclaim to you. Walk in the light. You know, the story that I just shared with you about the pizza joint, my heart cry was for you to walk in the light. Because when I first took a bite of this pizza, I came to see the light to see the light. And so as we look at light, walking in the light, as this common, it's a common image in the Bible, we're going to talk about it under three headings this morning. The first is the need for light. The second is the grace of the light. And the third is the cost of the light. So the, the need for light, the grace of the light, and the cost of the light. A few weeks ago, after the morning service, uh, after a, a profession of faith class that I had taught, I uh, noticed that there was a group of kids sitting in the library. And so I wondered what they were up to. So I, I sat down with them, and they were telling jokes and, and riddles. And so I offered from my experiences around camp campfires and knowing a few camp riddles or two, I offered one that, that is called the land behind the green glass door. And in the land behind the green glass 
door, there are apples, but no oranges. There are doors, but no windows. There is Facebook, but no, sorry, there is Google, but no Facebook. And so the point of this riddle is for you to look at the first word and the second word and find what's similar about them and then offer your own phrase in order to gain entrance into the land behind the green glass door. And for a while, this to my, ah, it felt so good to stump these kids. But then it clicked and one of them offered up a phrase and I forget what the phrase was, but they, they got it. And you could almost, I could almost see the light bulb coming on in their mind as they came to the light. And then they were gained entrance into the land behind the green glass door while the rest of them were still in agony trying to figure out what is the similarity between these two words. When you discover something new, sometimes we say, I finally see it. I have seen the light. I get it. I understand what it's all about. We are people who long to be in the inner circle. And we know that, the, that life is about more than just life. And there's something more to be had. And, and that's what the, the author of 1 John is proclaiming. I know the light. I know the light. You know, we get this feeling when we go window shopping. Don't we? Have, you, have you ever gone window shopping before and seen something that, that you're like, man, if only I had this then my life would be good. If only I had this, then, then my life, then I would see the light. Everything would fall into place. If I only got that job, then I would be satisfied. Then I would be in the light. The problem, though, is that even though we know we need something, know that, that our, our lives are somehow desiring more, we often look for it in the wrong places. John Calvin famously says that the human heart is a factory of idols. And what he means is that we're really good at taking things that God has given us in this world as good and making them great, ultimate things that we try to define our lives after. And if we try to define our, our, our lives after things that are not God, it will end up leaving us feeling empty. The author of 1 John is writing to people in the church who are experiencing you know, a, a, a little bit of an inner conflict. There, is, there are people that are within this church in, in Ephesus. They believe that, this, that the author is writing this to the, to the church in Ephesus. And there's people who are saying that Jesus Christ actually isn't king. He actually isn't the Messiah. And that, and that what this author is doing is urging them to say, no, 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 listen to us. Listen to what we proclaim to you. Listen to what we have seen and heard with our own eyes that this is the message that will fill you with complete joy. And so walk in the light as he is in the light, and you will have fellowship with God. The word fellowship is the, is the Greek word koinonia, which means a connection an intimate connection, a closeness of a relationship that we, that we all know that we long for. Fellowship is what we were created for as human beings. Fellowship with God and fellowship with other people. And we all know that we need, we long for, we desire this type of fellowship. And the author of 1 John is saying that it is in Christ, in the light, that we find this 
He is the light of the world. We know our need for the light, but what about the grace of the light? Why is the author so excited about Christ being the light of the world? Why is he urging them to walk in his light? Well, as I said before, this passage is written to correct wrong teaching, and it's a little bit like damage control. And the author of the letter is actually describing three different things that he's urging them not to fall into. And, and the way that we tell these things is it, it starts the statement by saying, if we claim. And three times in this passage that Dini read for us, it says, if you claim, if you claim, if you claim. And the first statement, if we claim, gives us a picture of what it looks like, what we need to do to walk in the light. But if you notice, never in this passage does the author say to be the light or shine your light. In fact, in terms of walking in the light, there's not a long list of qualifications that this author gives to us. In a, in a way, we get the sense that he's just proclaiming something that we have to, to be in. There's not a whole lot of doing. Have you ever applied for a job before? And you know that if you're applying for a job, there's a list that, that, that you, you see called the qualifications for the job. And depending on what type of job you apply for, there's a list of, of qualifications. And what some people tend to think is that religion is something that has a, a list of qualifications that you have to have in order to gain entrance into, into the religion. Just like the land behind the green glass door, the, the, the kids had to figure out what the connection was between the first word and the second word in order to come to the light. But the author doesn't really give us too much of that in this passage. He simply calls us to walk in the light. I've heard that, that some people say, you know, religion is full of requirements and rules and regulations while others say that, no, 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 God just accepts you for who you are. He just loves you as you are. You don't need to change. You don't need to do anything. But neither of these people are right. Because in this passage, it gives us a, a person who is walking in the light and a person who is walking in the darkness. And as I was preparing this sermon, I thought to myself, you know, what is the difference between these two people? If we were to look at them from the outside, what would the difference be between these two people. And it reminded me of a part in the Sermon on the Mount. that When Jesus is teaching the, the, the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, and, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he raises the bar of the law that the Jewish people held. And he said, he, you know, famously, he'll say, you know, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who's looked, been angry, at a person before has already committed murder. He raises the bar. And at the end of this sermon in which he completely ups the standard of living that he calls us to, he says this, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and has not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Two houses. In this passage in John, two people. Some walking in the light, some walking in the darkness. What, what is the difference? And it hit me as I was listening to a pastor preach on, on the Sermon on the Mount, on this passage with the, the two houses, that on the outside, they look the same. There's nothing that we can see from the outside that, that, that separates these two houses. We can't look at a house and know if it's all the way down, the foundation is all the way down to the bedrock. Because the difference of walking in the light and walking in the darkness doesn't have to do with an outward standard of morality that a person is holding. It doesn't have to do with doing the right things saying the right things, attending church every week. Because the difference between walking in the light doesn't have to do with getting it all right and having it all put together. Instead, the author goes on and says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. And then the third if you claim statement, if we claim we have not sinned, we've made him out to be a liar and his work is not in us. Sin is mentioned a lot in this passage. Did you notice that? And it seems backwards to us because for, for most every other you know, group or religion, walking in the light means achieving something. You know, um, Islam has the five pillars. The five things that we have to do. You know, Buddhism has the, the pathway to enlightenment. Judaism has the Torah. But, but Christianity doesn't give us a standard of morality to hold to. It's, it's, it, it does, but it, that's not the entrance into it. The entrance is to be honest. To be honest about yourself. All you need is need. Because the truth is that we can't walk in the light. Not on our own. On our own, we walk in utter darkness. We do things that get in the way of our relationship with God all the time. But what qualifies us to walk in the light is actually exposing these deepest, darkest parts of our life to God. Walking in the light comes when we, we admit, when we confess that we are walking in darkness. How can this be? It seems so backwards. How can we walk in the light by admitting that we walk in the darkness? It gets us to the cost of the light. It's because of Jesus. The author writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you do not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. What Jesus did was he came down and he made his dwelling among us. As the, as the author wrote, you know, he, I, we proclaim to you that we have seen, that we have heard that, that Jesus is God. And he walked in perfect step with God. Christ is the light. He is the light of the world. But he let himself be cast out into darkness 
Jesus Christ actually took upon himself all of our brokenness, all of our darkness, and let himself be crucified for us. And that, that means now that because Jesus Christ has, has died in our place, and the power of the Holy Spirit raised him back to life, and he ascended into heaven, and now he's seated with God, as the passage says, he is our advocate. He is interceding. He's getting in between us and God, and he is mediating our relationship with him. Because that is Christ and not us, that means that nothing we can do can separate us from the love of God. It sets us free from the guilt and the shame that sin gives us. See, because life is like a riddle that we can't figure out. We can't figure it out, but Jesus has for us. And we experience the inner circle, the intimacy, the relationship that we are created for in Christ because he has made himself our advocate. Our identity as being in the light is received through faith in him. We have in front of us this morning the Lord's Supper. It's a meal that we share together as we remember the cost of the light. Christ had to die so that we may live. The taste of this meal is sweet. Because in taking the bread and drinking the cup, we are tasting what our future will be. And it's not alone. It's with him forever. And it is way better than the slow and low pizza from pie. Because in this, we eat and we drink the forgiveness of our sins. And we rehearse a feast that is to come when Christ comes and establishes the new heavens and the new earth in which we are invited to participate in. And it is a feast that is so amazing. It's a foretaste of everything bad in the world coming undone. Every bad dream will come untrue. And it's a table open for all. All are invited to share the bread and the cup the greatest story that's ever been written. Just as I began this sermon with a mouth-watering story about pizza, we are invited, we are equipped, we are called to go out into the world and to proclaim this feast, the feast that is for all. Come, see, taste, Feel your sins are forgiven. This is the light of the world that has come to us. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father God, as we have a hard time understanding the depth of your love for us, help us in your spirit to To realize that it's true. Lord, that you are interceding for us, that you are our advocate in heaven. 
that through you we can experience the love of God without any boundaries. Father, we ask that you would equip us as your people, as we will be nourished in this supper to be sent out, to walk in the light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.